You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10, please? So over the last six weeks, we've been looking at um, a, a series, uh, looking at simple foundational truth that is vital to our relationship with God and our growth and our maturity as believers, um, and to be honest, even our effectiveness in reaching out to others. There's like foundational things that if we miss them, they leave gaps in our growth and in our maturity. We've looked at our relationship with the Bible. Do we read it? Is it our plumb line? Do we allow it to form our belief and our thoughts and the way we act, or do we try and impose our culture onto the Bible? We've looked at prayer. We've looked at having hearts that are positioned to obey the Lord. We've talked about ceilings in our lives that keep us from responding or keep us from growing. We've talked about evangelism. We've talked about ministering in team. Such a key thing. And this morning, I want to unpack this idea of for the least of these. If my, if my preach had a title this morning, it would be simple faith for the least of these. What is our response as believers to the most vulnerable in our community? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, some of you may have heard this before, but I'm going to read it for you anyways in case you haven't or in case this is your first time. Um, But to truly understand, before we read it, the parable, you have to understand how much the Jews that Jesus was speaking to in this passage hated the Samaritans. So the hero of this parable is the Samaritan, but the people who Jesus is speaking to viewed them as illegitimate believers, illegitimate heirs, and they wanted nothing to do with him. So Jesus chose the anti-type. He chose the one who was like, who, who in, their, in, in their understanding was the most shocking to be the hero of this story. We're going to read from verse 25 to verse 37. I think it will come up on the screens as well if you don't have a Bible with you. But it says this from verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up, And put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, What is written in the, uh, sorry, he said to him, or he asked him a question, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the guy asked him a question. Jesus asked him a question back. Often the way, when we ask Jesus a question, he asks us a question back. And he says, you've answered right. Do this and you shall live. Verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself. How often is this our response when we ask Jesus something and we don't like the answer? How often when we say, Jesus, what about this? And he gives us an answer that we don't like. We come with this heart that desires to justify ourselves. He said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Because he just said, you've answered right, now go and do it. He goes, oh, well, I I think the thing is he didn't actually want to do it. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's not a good situation. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. You would think the priest would be the one to help. It says, but when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. That's not very good. So likewise, a Levite, 
when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now the priests and the Levites were held in high esteem by the people that Jesus was talking to. They were the ones you would expect to have a heart for people. He said, but they passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and when I say Samaritan, you can go, dun, dun, dun. But a Samaritan. Because I think everyone that Jesus was talking to went, <gasps> as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, oil, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, or put him in his own car, and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day, I, get, I love that. The next day, he stayed with him overnight. He didn't just take him somewhere and drop him off. He stayed with him overnight. So the next day, he took, him, took out two denarii, which is about two days' wages. So add that up to whatever you get paid for a day. It's, it's not a small amount of money. And gave to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you. And when I come back, uh, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus says, which three of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy on him. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You answered correctly. You didn't like that there was, there was, a, there was a action attached to it. Go and do likewise. So the, then desiring to justify yourself, who is my neighbor? Well, the neighbor is actually like the one, to be honest, who you dislike the most. But show compassion. You go and do likewise. Would you turn with me now to Matthew 25? Matthew 25, we're going to read from verse 31 to 41. It says this. When the Son of Man, this is talking about Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate from, uh, from one people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you uh, as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, or some translations say my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you... <laughs> Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's quite a full-on scripture. Because then he goes on to talk about those who didn't help, if you read on in that scripture. Those who did nothing. One of the characteristics of a follower of Jesus is looking out for and helping those who are in need. The vulnerable, those who are doing it tough, the orphans, the widows. James says, religion that is pure is to visit orphans and widows and to help them. Love your neighbor as yourself looks like something. It's not just a nice catchphrase. It requires action on our part if we're Jesus followers. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. We can't claim to love Jesus if we don't uh, get, receive his love for others and show other people love as well. We can't say, it's only me and Jesus, I love you, Jesus, if we're not willing to love other people as well. 
this is, it's such a kingdom principle that Jesus equates our love for others with righteousness. He says, then the righteous will answer him. But I want to ask the question this morning, what does it look like? Because a lot of people, and if you've been in church for a while, you might have heard a lot of sermons on this sort of thing. But what does it look like in reality to look out for the least of these? To look out for those who are vulnerable? Firstly, it looks like stopping for the one. That's something we like to say often at Melbourne Life Church. But it's a kingdom principle. Who proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among thieves? The one who stopped for him. The Samaritan. See, those that Jesus was talking to were highly offended that he would say that a Samaritan was more of a neighbor to the man than the priest or the Levite. But the point he's making is this. Our religious piety, our outward religiosity doesn't count for anything if we're not willing to stop for the one. In modern day language, he's saying your church attendance, you're lifting your hands in worship, your offerings don't mean anything if you're not willing to stop for the one. We become like the hypocrites who are full of hot air and empty words if it doesn't result in action that actually helps those who are in need. The mark of a Jesus follower is loving others before ourselves. Do we have eyes to see those who need help? Who in your world is the least of these? Who in your sphere of influence in, in your world, and it, it may be in the church or it may be outside, who are the least of these? Firstly, it, it looks like stopping for the one. Secondly, it starts with those in the church. Now, this isn't the most, uh, the most popular opinion because most people like to use these scriptures and only preach about helping those outside. But actually, it starts with those in the first. In the passage, Jesus says, as you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. We like to say, as you do for the least of these, and then we try and apply it to anything. But it actually says, as you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. The context here for that passage is within the church. The context for the Good Samaritan is outside of the church, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it starts with in the church. Brothers and sisters of mine are those who are in Jesus. In Hebrews 2, verse 11, it says, For he sanctifies those who, uh, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. So while we're called to go make disciples, to share the gospel with those outside the church, people that don't know Jesus yet, it's one of our main calls. Our call to practical help firstly starts for those within the church to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Who in the church is the one that you need to see? Is the one that you need to stop for? When someone's on their own, I mean, this is, this is like uber simple, because if we won't do it here, we'll never do it out there. When someone's on their own, do we stop to have a conversation? Do we stop to pray for them? Do we encourage them? Do we sit with them? Do we invite them to sit with us? Do we just come in in our own little, uh, little box and go, this is my thing, and I go to the same spot that I've always sat in? We sit in our same spot, 
and never shall anyone sit next to us. I'm joking. You can, but you can move it to different spots, just so you know. Who is the one? It starts within the church. Are we looking for the lonely? Are we looking for the one? Are we looking for those that we can include? When someone's in need, are we willing to help them? I love the, the, the picture of the church, the early church in the book of Acts. In Acts 2 verse 45, it says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All these people suddenly came to Jesus. They got saved. It says 3,000 were added in one day. And then suddenly there was, they realized there's, there's people with need and there's people with much. There's some who, 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 you know, who had businesses and things and different stuff and you know, had jobs. And there was others who were in the place of need because all a bunch of people got saved at the same time. And so they, 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 I mean, they basically were like, how do we help this? So some of them were selling possessions and giving to those who are in need. If you look over a couple of chapters, you can kind of skip forward in, the, in time to Acts chapter 4, verse 34 to 35. It says there, in Acts chapter 4, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land and, and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. If we are those who are blessed with more, we have a responsibility to help those in the church community who have need until there's no needy among us. Think about that. That's, that's highly offensive in our culture. I know. Because everything says, you know, look after you and yours. And, but actually, me and mine are us. It's those who God's added us together. Now, this isn't an excuse for laziness or permission to live off of the generosity of others. This is not, you know, I don't ever have to work, I don't have to do anything because everyone else is just going to look after me because I'm part of the church. Because Paul also says that those who are able to work should work. And Proverbs says that the man who doesn't work doesn't eat, which is kind of an observation but also kind of a reality. So these passages about helping, they're speaking to our heart attitude to help someone who is in need, and get them to a place, help them on the journey to get to the place where they're no longer in need, and they can become co-laborers and, contrib- and contributors to the kingdom mission. It's not to live on the, 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 the coattails or have a free ride so I don't have to contribute. No, it's to help them get from a place of I'm in need to a place of I'm no longer in need, and now we can partner together in the gospel. I love that we are a church, we are a people who do this. I find it easy to preach this because I know that many of you are doing it. And as a church, this is something that we buy into and we do together. Now, I'm not saying you have to go and sell everything you have. Although, if God is saying that to you, then you need to be obedient to him. But my point of my preach this morning is not go sell your house, go sell your car, go sell all your belongings, and just give it to the poor. The the, the point of my preach this morning is rather that our goal is to not store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust and interest rates and taxes destroy them, but to store up treasures in heaven, which is to invest in people. You will have a lot much more joy from your possessions and your provision if you invest it in people than if you just store up things. 
The more things you have, the more emotional energy it takes, the more time it takes to look after your things, and they break, and they break down, and they get stolen, and they get, you know, they get old, and then you have to get more things. And in the end, you're just like, I'm so tired from looking after my things. Maybe we need to get rid of some things and spend some time with people. Very quiet this morning. James 2, verse 14 to 17 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now, we, talked to, we, we did a series in James a little while ago. It's not talking about salvation. This is talking about actually from the point of salvation, there has to be fruit. There has to be an outworking of our faith. And he says, Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If somebody is in a place of need and you say on Facebook, prayer and blessings, thoughts and prayers, but don't do anything about it, what good is that faith? Why do we, I mean, we, we just did this, but why do we bring tithe into the storehouse or the place that we're fed? Malachi 3 verse 10 says this, that there may be food in my house. Then the over, it overflows in God's provision for us. But when we understand God's pattern, we honor him as the provider. But together as a people, we bring tithe and we live a generous life. It's so that actually there's food in the house. So that ultimately, as we journey and disciple people, there's no needy among us. Which is like a circle because then there'll be needy among us because we're reaching out and we see lost people get saved and there's need. And then we help disciple them and we help meet that need so they come to the place of not being needy so they can be co-laborers in the mission and then we can reach more people who are needy. Are you buying into this or is everything in your Western culture mindset going, how dare you, Matt? My walls are up. Just preach a nice Christmas message. This is the Christmas message. Firstly, it's stopping for the one. Secondly, it starts within the church. Thirdly, then it's through the church. It is through the church. Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan wasn't about helping those in the church. See, it's not just about the church, and it's not just about outside the church. Um, it's both. And so often, we, we, we get one or the other when we hear about this. When we hear about helping people, it's like, you know, we, we only help people in the church, or we only help people outside the church. But so much of the kingdom is both. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And while it starts here, the, the, the parable is about step, stopping for the one. Jesus sends the disciples out. Go make disciples of all nations. It starts in the church, but then it's through the church. Why does it start in the church? So that there's more people that can help through the church. The safest place to practice is in the church. And, and I'll say this. You'll probably never do it outside the church if you don't do it in the church. It's much harder to stop for the one outside the church than to stop for the one inside the church. But we're called to do both. It's through us, the church, and let me say this, not an organization. I said last week, we're not a NGO aid organization. We are a people who God's knit our hearts together, called us together to extend the kingdom. The church is not Melbourne Lights Church as an organization. 
It's us. It's you and me together. As a church, we help so many people practically. I love it. It's one of the things that I, I love raving about when we get to go to other places. We love to say, we have a saying, we call it the goods and the gospel. Because so often, actually help, meeting somebody's physical need opens their heart for the gospel. But it's never just the goods. Because the point is the gospel. We don't want to send well-fed, well-clothed people to hell. You guys getting offended this morning? I hope you're not. It's always about bringing people to Jesus. By any means. If they need a sleeping bag, we'll give them a sleeping bag. If they need a meal, we'll give them a meal. If they need help, we'll try and help them so that they'll hear the gospel of Jesus. There's not a, there's not a method. Somebody, one time somebody uh, paid for somebody that we met on the street to be in a hotel. Um, it worked out very well. And they were able to get connected and get a job. Another time we paid for somebody to be in a hotel and it worked out very poorly because there's not a method. They um, got drugs, did drugs, trashed the hotel room, got kicked out of the hotel room, and the hotel said, please don't ever bring people like that back. If we think about it as a method, then we just go, oh, well, that worked last time, let's do it again. It's not a method. It's a heart attitude to help and to be obedient to what God says. So often people say, can I just get real with you guys this morning? I have been real, but I'm going to be real, real, real with you. You ready? So often people say this. The church should help that person. I get calls at least once a month. The church should help. The church should help. The church should do something about that. And many times we do. But often what they mean is somebody else should do something. I saw a need, and you should do something about it. But who's the church? Can you say, I am the church? We are the church. So often those who say, if I can just be totally honest with you again, the church should do something, are also those that don't contribute to the church. To be totally honest. Most people who contribute also get the heart of it because they recognize God's the provider and we have a call to be on mission. Those who contribute are often the ones who are already doing something and say, actually, this need might be bigger than what I can meet. Is there others who can come alongside? Those who say, there's a need, you should do something about it, are most often those who don't contribute. They don't bring tithe. They don't give offerings. They don't stop for the one in the church, but they expect the church to help, forgetting that the church is people. Often as a church community, we get to help people. Because as a church, so many of us have understood this principle, the value of bringing tithes into the storehouses, of giving offerings, of being a generous people. But it's not just an organizational response. For the least of these is a personal response to a revelation that Jesus is the provider and he's called us to reach people who are in need. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deeds. Oof. I've often said that one of my favorite things about COVID time, and you know you can have favorite things about COVID time. One of them was being able to have lunch with my kids every day. Another one was watching the church, people, you guys, care for each other and care for others. 
individuals buying groceries for other people. Not through the organization, just buying groceries and putting them on their doorstep. People paying other people's rents, gifts of generosity, um, helping people, people opening their homes so people could move in with them. In the church, in this church, not somewhere else, this church, these people. I love it. I mean, what a blessing to partner with people who say, I want to be part of the solution. I want to help those. If there's a need, I want to meet it. If I can, I want to meet it. And together, we were able to help people in all of those areas to do well. Fourthly, it's my last point this morning, it's not just about money. It doesn't have to be about money, although many times it is. If there's a need and we can meet it, our heart attitude should be, God, if I can meet it, I want to be able to meet it. But it's not all about money. And we see this in Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Uh, It talks about Peter and John. It says this from verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour to prayer. So let's, they say the ninth hour. Let's say Scott and Eve. No, no, we'll just say Peter and John. Peter and John were coming to church at the time for church, 10 o'clock. They were coming early because they honor the presence of God. They wanted to be there for the start of worship, so they are coming at, oh, cheap shot, sorry. They were here, they wanted coffee before the cafe closed, so they came at 9.30. They came at 9.15 for the prayer, okay, let's just carry on. Um, Now a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, the gate called Beautiful, to ask for alms for those entering the temple. What's amazing to me is that Peter and John would have known this guy, because he'd been there He'd been lame from birth. They laid him there every day, and they went to the temple every day to pray at the same time, and he was always there. So they probably knew him, and he knew, he knew them. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention. They stopped, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. Now, how disappointing would that be for that dude? We know he's going to get at something better. But at the moment, he's like, yeah, sweet. They stopped. Hey, look at us. We don't have any money. Oh, man. Here we go. There's a lot of need around us. There's a lot of need in our community. But we can't give resources that we don't have. I mean, that's reality. You can't give what you don't have. They say this, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the gate beautiful because they all knew who he was. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We don't always have the resources to help the practical need, but we can always give them Jesus. If we have the resources, let's try and meet the practical need as well. But if we don't, still give them Jesus. Sometimes the practical help opens the heart. But sometimes all we have is Jesus, and the ultimate need is Jesus, and what we can do is still stop for the one and give them Jesus. Whether it's in the church or outside of the church, we can all give them Jesus, but you can only give them what you have. If you're not full of Jesus, you can't give them Jesus. If you're not full of the Spirit, 
You can't give them the Spirit. How do we do this? I'm going to give you, these are really quick points. They're really practical. How do we do it? Honor God first. Bring tithes, give offerings, be obedient to his voice and his leading. Too often we want to help people, but we're not willing to steward our finances the way God's told us to, and then we wonder why we don't seem to have enough. The thing is this. See, it starts in the church and it flows from the church. But when we use our tithe that should be given to the church to help people outside the church, what we're actually saying is I'm the provider, not Jesus. I'm going to meet the need, not God. Secondly, plan for generosity. If you don't plan, if we don't plan, we will spend all we have and we'll never be able to be generous with people. Is that, that's not true. That, that's true, isn't it? Is that not true is what I was going to say. It's like, that's not true. It is true. If you don't plan, you will just spend everything you have. You'll use, if you don't plan to set some time aside, to have a buffer in your day so that if there is the one you can stop for them, you'll never stop because you'll never have time to stop. If you don't plan and set some money aside to be generous, maybe you set a certain amount aside each week. Put it in a generosity account. You ask God what it is. I'm not, I'm not telling you what it is. I'm not telling you how much. It can be $5. It could be $500. It's not the amount. It's the obedience. It's the planning, preparing to be generous so you can help when there's a need. You don't have to have a lot. Jesus talks about the widow who put her last coin in. For her, it was everything. For someone else, it, was, it might be nothing. But he doesn't, Jesus doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart. Thirdly, ask God to give you eyes to see. Honor God first. Plan for generosity. Ask him to give you eyes to see. Let our prayer be, God, would you please give me eyes to see the one? Lord, even right now, I ask, today, as this meeting ends, would you give us eyes to see the one in this group of people right now? As we go, would you give us eyes to see the one? Lord, this week, would you give us eyes to see the one? Give me eyes to see those who you want me to help, where we can be a blessing, those who we can give Jesus to. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Open our eyes to see. And fourthly, let your default be generosity. The default is, if I have it, I'll give it. And if I don't, I'll give you Jesus. And that's a hard thing to preach this time of year because all of us are stretched. You're buying, you know, Christmas presents. You got the list of things. You're trying to go, oh, man, how do I, make the bill, how do I pay the bills and the interest rates and make ends meet? But it doesn't then let us off the reality that God's called us to help others. And can I be totally honest with you? All of us in this nation are ridiculously blessed. Stop for the one. It starts within the church. It's through the church, and it's not just about money. I want to give you two practical Christmas challenges, and then we're going to finish this morning. The first one is this. Who outside of your family is someone in need that you can add to your Christmas list or that you can bless? 
I'm giving you this challenge early in December because you got some time. You might need to prepare. You might need to you know, go, oh, I, I, you know, I'm going to adjust something. Ask God to show you one person that you can bless. Maybe it's a single parent. Maybe it's their kids. Maybe it's somebody who's had a hard year. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't have much. Maybe it's somebody who you've met at the grocery store. Or it's a person from your kid's school. Or it's somebody from, from work who's gone through a tough time. I don't know, but ask God. The point is ask God and have eyes to see. Maybe it's somebody in the church. Maybe it's somebody outside of the church. But is there one person? I mean, maybe you can do more. But is there one person that you can add to your Christmas list and just bless them? Maybe even anonymously. Sometimes the, the nicest way to bless somebody is for them not to know it's you. Because then it's not actually about us. It's about them being blessed. Secondly, this is a, a second challenge for the month of December. Challenge yourself, if you are willing, to bless and or pray for one person a day from now until Christmas. Doesn't have to be physical blessing. You can just be like, "Can I bless you?" And then we pray. It's like a sneaky way of praying for people that don't want you to pray for them. Just so you know, I'm letting you in on a secret. If you're new with us, it's a sneaky way we pray for you. It's great. Gabby did this this week at a meeting. She was like meeting with somebody, and she was like, "Can I bless you?" And the, the girl's like, uh, "Yeah. What do I do? <laughs> do I close my eyes? Like, do I?" Gabby's like, "No, you can keep your eyes open," and just got to pray with her. Can you challenge yourself between now and Christmas? Let's make Christmas the season not to be selfish and think about ourselves, but actually to reach others and say, can I bless or pray for one person a day from now until Christmas? It might be a practical blessing. It might be prayer. It might be blessing them in Jesus' name. Just being intentional. You'll be amazed at how many people respond, how many opportunities you have to show people Jesus if you'll simply do that one thing. At the carols night, if you're talking to somebody, ask them about their story. How has your year been? You'll be amazed, amazed how many people say, actually, like, this is going on, or this has happened, and they just open up. Because nobody ever asks us how you're going. In the church, we do that quite a bit. But even in the church, some people need to be asked, how are you doing? But out there, it's amazing. You ask somebody, how are you doing? And suddenly they're like, and my kids, and this, and my work, blah, blah. And then sometimes we get overwhelmed, and we go, I don't know what to do. But here's the challenge. Just simply respond like this. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? And ask God, ask God to come in his presence. Ask the Holy Spirit to meet them right now. That's being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what we're called to. Would you stand with me this morning? Our call is for the least of these. And often when we think about that, we're thinking, we think far-off nations, we th and that, it, it does include that. But it's here. It's now. Lord, we want to be a people who see and stop for the one. Lord, would you give us this morning your heart for your people? I thank you that you love people. You love those who are broken and hurting, and you want them to come to you. And we want to be a people, Lord, who help in that process, who bring people to you. Lord, we want to be a people, Lord, who can meet the practical needs. Lord, I ask, Lord, Lord, for ridiculous 
blessing and favor to be poured out upon the families and the businesses and the people in this church, not for us, but so that we can bless others. You know, it's not a bad thing to ask God to bless you if your heart is to be a blessing. Lord, I thank you that this Christmas, this month, but ongoingly, Lord, we get to be a people who help. And where that elicits a response of offense or of walls going up, how dare you ask me to help? Lord, I pray this morning that you would break down our walls, that you'd soften our hearts, that you'd help us see, not become numb to the need, but to see and to where we can to help, to respond to you. Lord, we want to honor you with our finances with our generosity, Lord, and we want to bless the people around us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this church and their generosity. And we honor you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.